welcome back. I'm Jenny Felding, Managing Director of Techstars Internet of Things. Today in our podcast studio is Alex Winter, the CEO and co-founder of Placemeter, a Techstars company, by the way. Uh, Placemeter is a platform that senses and unlocks massive amounts of data about activity in physical places. What his team is working on is key to unlocking the future of smart cities. Alex, welcome to the show. First of all, tell us a little bit about yourself and about Placemeter. Hi, everybody. So I'm French, as you might hear from my accent. I moved to the U.S. 12 years ago now. It's my second startup. My first startup is the one that brought me from France to the U.S. We started it as an e-commerce play, and we ended up doing law enforcement software. So don't ask me why. It's a long story. But that's how I ended up in Washington, D.C. Then I moved to New York in 2009. We sold the company successfully, and then I left that old company to start Placemeter in 2012. Quite a leap from e-commerce to IoT and hardware. So how did you get here? My background is computer vision. I've done that for a long, long time. And when I moved to New York, I realized how broken a city can be. It's exciting, but it's very broken too. My son used to tell me all the time, he asked me the question, Dad, why is everything broken here? So it's true that, you know, cities like New York, like many of the mega cities in the world, face a lot of demographic pressure. And uh, they start from different points, right? Some of them are more organized. Some of them are built from scratch. So it's easier to build things right. But cities like New York have a lot of past existing infrastructure. And basically, we need to you know, radically change the way the city works, make it able to uh, adjust to that massive influx of uh, people. So the average size of the city is going to double in the next 30 years. So this concept of smart cities, everyone is talking about that as a term. I don't think we used to talk about smart cities a few years ago as much. So why is there an interest and why have we created this buzzword, smart cities? I think that term comes from that report by uh, Gartner, I think, back then, that valued the smart cities market at $12.7 billion, trillion dollars, whatever it is, so a big number back then. It turns out that what matters is the sub-segments there. You know, smart cities is a buzzword. It means that you're doing some technology that's vaguely related to the physical world and improving how it works. Uh, I think today we're seeing that some angles and some specific verticals really make sense, while others are still... Interesting, exciting from a technology standpoint, but don't have a proven business model. So one of the interesting things is that you're actually European, um, originally from France, I believe. And we think of the idea that Europe is so old and America is so new. So it seems to me that European cities are really ahead. And I'd love to hear your point of view on where Europe is versus the U.S. in the transformation of creating that infrastructure. So that's a great question. And uh, you're right, the, um, the European cities are in general older. But I think this is all a question of financing, right? And financing is one of the essential elements of smart cities, right? In smart cities, the buyers are not traditional consumers or your enterprises. It's a little more complicated. It's usually the city directly or more complicated, public-private partnership where you have to make a lot of things work, right? So urban infrastructure is traditionally based on some very specific financing models that don't really work for smart cities or for technology. I mean, the concession model assumed that you're going to have one technology or one thing that will work for 100 years or 50 years, and then you buy the concession to make money out of it, assuming that the business model will be the same for 50 years. Well, I'm happy that nobody bought a concession for smart highways with loops on the ground to guide uh, self-driving cars the way we uh, conceived them 10 years ago, because that would have been a disaster. I think the reason why European cities are all ahead of American cities is uh, because the cities themselves have more budget to allocate to uh, the transformation of the uh, infrastructure of, uh, of our cities. And uh, that's how 
your budget comes faster and uh, the financing model is a little easier. And that's why they're ahead. And Asian cities are even further ahead. That's, again, another configuration where Asian cities are basically being built from scratch. I was in China not too long ago in Hangzhou, and I was amazed to see the speed and the, and the size of the development they have there. So they built buildings on top of you know, former fields, and a lot of them. Uh, so that's what's pretty amazing about what's happening in Asia, in many countries in Asia, not all of them, where you really have cities built from scratch. I'm sure you're familiar with the examples of uh, Incheon, for example, in, in South Korea, that was built no, not too far from the Seoul airport. That is the first example of a uh, smart city built from scratch. I'm curious about some of the use cases you've seen around smart design. Can you talk about what smart design actually entails and why it's so important? We have an exciting project going on in in Paris, actually, where the um, city hall has decided to overhaul seven of the iconic plazas. You know, Paris loves their plazas, right? They're beautiful. People hang out there. It's a big touristic attraction, so it's very important. They did the first one, Plaza de la République. They did it the old school way. So they hired some designers and the designers said, okay, we have to do this and that, and it's gonna be better. So they did this and that, they built everything, cost a lot of money, and then at the end of the day, doesn't change much. So everybody's complaining. So um, now they're starting with the the second plaza, which is Plaza de la Nation. And this time they're gonna do it really in, uh, I would say online way, right? They're gonna A-B test seven different scenarios by installing movable barriers and movable things to narrow down, you know, the roads or increase uh, pedestrian access. And they're going to measure the impact of that using our technology. So there's uh, 22 cameras that are all around Plaza de Nation. Every time they set up a new model, they will measure the impact and see if it, you know, served them better or not and achieve their goal better or not. And once they've decided which one works the best or which combination of these scenarios works the best, then they're going to build. So what you're talking to me about is utilization of data. How does that work in a business model when you're selling into a city? And who owns that data and what happens to that data? A couple of things. So in the case of um, Paris, the city knows that the data is usable not only by them, but also by different stakeholders. Imagine you're a retailer, you want to set up shop near that plaza. It's super important for you to know what kind of foot traffic you're going to get. And if you have historic data for the last year about you know, spikes and lows of uh, foot traffic, correlation with weather, then you can really know if that place is good for you or not. So that same data that we measured for urban design is super usable by other players. As a result, the city tries to, uh, it's pretty flexible on data ownership. So in that case, we own the data. We have a co-ownership with, it, with the city. So they can resell it, we get a cut. We can resell it, they get a cut. Also, a part of the data is available on the open data platform for Paris because we still need to scratch the surface on how that data is really going to change the way cities work on a daily basis. Because we're talking about design. Design is one-off thing, right? Once it's designed and built, you're not going to redesign it every two years. But there's plenty of other usages to that data. Safety, we talked about retail. Marketing, if you organize an event on Place de la Nation and you can already have attendance numbers because the cameras are there, it's awesome. So uh, that's the part that's still being worked on. Being, there's a lot of creativity around that, but it's not completely clear what the ultimate business model is. I think in general, people feel somewhat comfortable with corporations marketing and using their data. But when you talk about cities using that data, I'm just not sure we're there yet. It brings, which brings me to my next question. I love how transformational it can be 
for the future and impactful to people. But selling into governments is so hard. Long sales cycle, tons of bureaucracy. How do you navigate around that? Different types of selling to the government, right? If you look at what's happening with free Wi-Fi, for example, not really a sale. It's a concession, right? You get the right to install free Wi-Fi for a given amount of time, and then you can recoup and you know, recoup the money based on whatever business model you implement on top of that. Of course, the city gives directions, and it tells you what you can do, cannot do in terms of privacy, advertisement, etc. But you're not directly selling to the city. And there's a bunch of projects like that in the smart city world today. Now, of course, you also have deals that require the city to pay some money. So I'm thinking, for example, about smart lighting. Smart lighting has had a lot of promises. I'm sure you've seen the recent acquisition of uh, SenCity by Verizon. So there's definitely some action on that market. These deals are harder to get because you actually need to get a pretty sizable deal with the city. And then, of course, the, um, the, the sales cycle is much longer. Now, as a startup, you can still get into that by working with third parties. So typically, we try to sell... We try to make the sale directly with the city, but convincing city officials. But then the actual procurement process goes through a company that has an existing line of budget. And then that makes things much easier. So what have you seen from governments and cities in terms of working with startups? Are they really trying to open their doors to new technologies? Where do you see this all going? Yeah, I think it's a genuine effort. I think they're putting real effort into building stronger ties and making it easier for startups to get into the local government business. I think the outcome of that today is still pretty shy. (laughs) There's still a lot of meetings, a lot of networking. We know them really well. They know us really well. It still is complicated for a startup. I mean, it hasn't changed really the way you do business with local government. It has changed the way they perceive startups. It has changed also maybe the way startups perceive the local government. But, uh, I mean, give it another two, three, four years before there's actual results from that. There are some interesting ideas, by the way, about allocating some part of the um, city budget to specifically to startups that can't have the long sales cycle that you have with traditional companies. So having something smaller budget, but that you can access uh, you know, faster. So that's some interesting creative ideas there. You talked a bit about legacy infrastructure. What are the challenges that we're still facing in transportation and connectivity? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think that New York subway, by the way, is about to see major transformations. So you probably followed the fact that uh, the the concession for um, advertising within the subway is open now, up for grabs. We'll see who gets it. So the traditional players are on it, but Google's also on it. Probably other players that are going to bring a lot of innovation there. So out-of-home advertising is a great way to get into the city. If you want to implement a new service in the city, you need real estate. You need places to put your stuff, basically. And billboards are great for that, you know. Ask uh, Intersection and and Sidewalk Labs, who just uh, started the Link NYC program, which is great. They took advantage of uh, a former uh, phone booth, so that's awesome. Billboards in the subway can lead to a lot of innovative systems. Every billboard can become a sensor. Then you can have a clear understanding of what's happening. People flows within the subway. You can also have some security, uh, you know, application, a lot of application. Once you have the sensors and the location to put stuff in the city, you're good. What are some of the key projects you've done at PlaceMeter and what's next for you? Our goal is to basically set up a large network of sensors where we're going to measure human activity in cities at scale and make it available to whoever needs it. And there's a lot of players who need that. We had a first phase where we were trying to, uh, so we built a uh, low-cost sensor 
that you can buy for $90 on our website. Uh, install it yourself and start measuring things if you're a small retailer, for example. Everybody shares data there, right? It's a big network of sensors where we all share data. Uh, we recently started working more with large players, uh, CDs, uh, out-of-home advertisers, to speed up the um, you know, deployment and adoption of these sensors. So I can't say much right now, but we have some large deals uh, in the pipeline where we're going to deploy tens of thousands of these sensors and uh, get to the point where we have a dense enough coverage in a city that our data layer is interesting. You can type in an address and get a lot of information about historic foot traffic, car traffic, you know, if people look at the window or not, traffic in and out of these places, you can have a lot of information that is already there. And that's where you can really spark new application because if you don't have to set up a sensor to know about all that, then there's no friction. And when there's no friction, there's a lot more creativity, a lot more business for us, so that's the goal. Alex, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you so much. It was really insightful. All right, if you enjoyed the show and the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes with some fantastic founders and investors. I'm Jenny Fielding, and this is Techstars IoT. Tune in next week.